Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Here we are, the fourth of four. We've got Tony Hughes all the way from Australia, where obviously everything is bigger, faster, and better than it is in England. How's it going, Tony? Hey, Johnny, I'm well. Hey, my two guys, i got to say, I love that intro you guys play for every book club episode. It's, <laughs> it's fun, isn't it? It's fun. It well, sounds like the original. Yeah, absolutely. I think the guy that did it, to be fair, did a really good job. The freelancer that did the, the titles did a really good job of it. So today, on Book Club, after three weeks of reading the book, we have got the author, Tony J. Hughes, of Combo Prospecting, which is here. Wherever the camera is. Wherever the cameras are. Yeah, multiple cameras, multiple multiple moments. Um, Tony, firstly, thanks for coming on the show. Secondly, Thank I just you. want to, I, I just want to say, I know before we kicked off, you, you said that you, you uh, were grateful for the fact that we've been really, really impartial and that we've told the truth as we've read the book. I've got to be honest, the book is a clarion call, I think, to a can, lot of can, sales Can I people. chip in here, right? So I'll tell you what, where I'm at, where I'm at with this, Tony. So, so, Go on, Pricey. So, oh, I've just taken over now. So, yeah. so basically, I've been building this pergola right at home. This has taken so much of my time. And as I sat painting my pergola this weekend, I was reflecting on combo prospecting. And I have whined about this book and the way it's written. You've heard it on the show. And actually, I've reflected on that over the weekend. Because I've got to say, out of all the books I've read... I have done more things as a result of this book than any of the others. Yeah. But then as I read it, do you know what this feels like to me, Tony? And you can correct me if I've misread this. It feels to me like a man who is whining about some of the bad salespeople he's worked on and who wants to drag hold of them and say, why aren't you doing this? It sounds like you've worked with some people over your sales career where you've sat there because you make one comment about getting in early, cracking on, and you're sort of leaving as they're just coming to sit down at their desks. And that just resonated with me. So, so the root of this book, where is it actually from? Great question, Mike. Where the book comes from is, is I because I, I left the corporate world five years ago and went out on my own as a consultant. So for all of my business life up until five years ago, I've been in the trenches as a seller, doing deals, staring into the abyss of what looks like an impossible quota, trying to find ways to build pipe. Um, you know, celebrated success, literally cried out of frustration. You know, s- selling can be a soul-destroying uh, profession. Um, and, but what I found was as I worked with people to help them, everybody would say to me, hey, Tony, look, I know how to sell. My first book was about a sales methodology for managing a complex sale, and I won't bore you with those details. But what I found was people didn't think they needed help in that area. They'd say, hey, Tony, I know how to sell. I just don't have enough pipeline." And the thing I felt like screaming at them was that if they really knew how to sell, they would have enough sales pipeline because the very notion of trying to separate pipeline creation from being able to sell is a complete nonsense. Yeah. So, and so what I found was what they needed was help on how to go create pipeline. And there were a whole lot of problems associated with people doing that effectively. The first was that they, They just weren't having the right conversations. They made all their conversations about them and what they do, not about the customer and the customer's opportunity for better results. 
or they'd adopt the sort of friending strategy of trying to start a relationship, you know, call people up and try and be their friend. Hey, can I buy you coffee? And I'd love to understand your plans in the next 12 months, what your biggest problems are. And the reality is nobody who's worth getting getting to is lonely and bored looking for a new friend. I know you read that quote out of the I, book, I, right? So, I, I, yeah. I, I absolutely love that. But can I just, uh, just stop you a little bit there? Because, and I do agree with you, by the way, because what I have found as an IT sales recruiter is when you're talking about people who are doing complex deals, by and large, yep. they're going to be more senior or more, or more bigger basic salary, bigger earnings. I think there's a direct correlation with the more senior somebody gets, senior in terms of deal size, the less likely they are to want to book their own appointment. Yeah, but but here's here's the um, paradox: is trying to get junior SDR, BDR, ISR kind of people to call into the C-suite is very problematic. They're unlikely to be successful. Yes, they so are. So if you're going to call if you're going to call senior people, you need to be able to carry the conversation. I agree. So in my view, so in my view, what the best organisations do is they'll get the inside sales function to focus on doing ground swell in accounts. I call it those mid-levels and lower levels. Lower level people are freer with information. If you start with a mid-level manager, they can often become a blocker for you and prevent you making a sale. But the senior person, that real senior executive that's making the big money, they need to be doing their own outbound calls into the C-suite to go in at that level is my view. So, And the other big problem in most enterprise selling areas is that people allow themselves to become single relationship dependent. So they've got to call in at senior levels concurrently and, and deal with the whole opportunity. I've, I've sold tech my whole life. I've worked for, for uh, SAP as a rep. I ran open text in the Asia Pacific region. I ran Sugar CRM for APAC. Um, so I've, I've been in the software space and hired a lot of sales, you know, people myself. Mm, absolutely yeah. agree. I think you're absolutely spot on. Something that Michael and I, as recruiters, we see the world in a slightly different way to perhaps how you'll see it from a consulting perspective, because you're there coaching and sporting and developing. What we see are the car crashes. Yeah. So often we're we're stood by the wreck, pulling them out of the wreckage um, and dusting them off and saying, come on, it's time to go again. And what we often see when, when we do the crash investigation is there are certain threads of conversation that come out. Well, Jonathan, people by people. And you sat there thinking, really, do they? Are you sure? Because actually some of the top guys I've met actually aren't that lovable. They're just really good and dogged and they generate activity. Or often when we dig into an interview and we're stood at the car crash, the conversation is, so tell me about that deal. Well, it was... You know, I almost consider that client a friend. Um, you know, it was all about the relationship between me and him, and uh, that's why they bought off us. And actually, for me, it's not so much the fact that they felt that it was the relationship that was what leveraged the deal. It was the fact that they didn't actually know what it was that made them win. And I think that one of the things I really got out of combo testing is this clarion call if anything, to just be a bit more cognizant of why you are and aren't winning and what it is and that does and doesn't make you win and particularly how much, uh, you know, you've talked a lot particularly about how uh, revenue is a, a follower, not, an, uh, not a leader. Um, and the reality, you know, I've often said it to guys that have worked for us where they've had a great month. I'll say, listen, mate, you, yeah, well done, but it's chip, I, I call it chip paper. 
You know, it's yesterday. <laughs> it's chip paper. It's yesterday's news, mate. Um, that that month you've just had was hard work you did sixteen weeks ago. Not yeah. not this month. And they're walking around this month, and then you see them, and you're thinking he's going to stink the place out next month because he's so full of himself about this month. And he's realised he's God, he's not canvassed at all. But the only reason he did that work 16 weeks ago was because he was in the shit. And, he, and like you said, he had a month of absolutely smashing it because he was under pressure. Then he's had yeah. a really good month four months later, but he hasn't correlated the two. So I, 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 I agree with Mike. I've got, probably in many respects, I've, it's been great to re- use the clarion call to get on the phone a little bit more and get back in it. Um, but it, it, Mike and I, as much as we've criticised the book, we have really enjoyed it. it. Haven't you, Mike? Yeah. Can I ask you something then, Tony? So, so obviously you're selling consulting as well. I like this. You know, I'm, I'm a man that's, that's comfortable with picking up the phone. You must get resistance when you ask people to get on the phone in the companies you consult with. Yes and no. Uh, I, I think the wheel has turned and people are recognising the dangerous lies that have been pushed by a lot of these social selling schlock people <laughs> you know, that, that the world's all changed and all you need to do now is attract and engage people by publishing content. Um, I was on the phone today to a guy that wants to form a partnership with me for building an online sales academy uh, he's working right now with three salespeople that are on performance reviews about to get fired because they bought into the social selling passive content publishing mantra uh, about six months ago and they have no pipe. Um, and he commented to me that he knows about uh, half a dozen of these social selling experts in his particular market and he says they're all struggling to feed themselves. Right, so you know, public. Like, I want to say, I'm I'm not against social selling. I, I no, you're very clear record, about that. For those people yeah, listening, we, you're, yeah, you're representing a blended approach. Yeah, and as, as we as we record this right now, I've got I think about three hundred and twenty thousand followers in LinkedIn. I'm the most read person in the world in LinkedIn on B two B selling. There's only two others with more followers. They don't have more readership. I publish over five hundred articles. Um, I was publishing an article a day every day for seven months, including Fair while play. I was on holiday with my family in Vietnam, you know, trying to find Wi-Fi to publish stuff. Fair all play. an act of insanity. I literally nearly died before Christmas from being always on because every night I would just write articles. So I believe in social selling. I've built a big brand. It's all important. But the most, the original social selling tool is the phone. And if you can't create human engagement, you're not going to have a role. So I know you guys talk a lot about disruption as well. But if anybody, if anybody just helps someone transact, transact a commodity or they're running around trying to be a friend, and have a relationship protect them, they're in trouble. We've got I to agree. create the value that funds our role. I agree. I, I, I wonder, Tony, if... I, I, I'm a great believer in Darwinian natural selection. Um, <laughs> and, and I do wonder, you know, you talk about a lot of these guys that are social sellers, that are purist social sellers. They're not doing anything phone. It's not a combined strategy. And Michael and I meet a lot of them. And I actually often wonder if it's just the industry naturally selecting these people out. Because actually, maybe they shouldn't have been in the industry in the first place. They shouldn't have been in the profession. Yeah. And, I'm not, and I'm not convinced often a lot of it is that they fall, they, they've fallen. They, the, why have they fallen for the schlock? They've fallen for it because actually they weren't really salespeople. They didn't really want to be in sales. And somebody sold them some snake oil that they thought would mean that they could be in sales, earn £250,000 next year, but without actually 
the dirty being at your desk at 6am and being on your, you know, Mike, with respect to him, literally is a machine. 8am, I know, if I turn around at 8am every single day, bar today, because we're recording this right now, 8am, that phone is on. And all I can hear is his yeah. voice booming around the room. And But not everybody wants to do that. Mm. I agree. So, yeah. so I wonder sometimes, it's just, a, for me, I just think it's natural selection. I think that it's the, the, the job self-selecting people out sometimes. Can we, talk, can we talk about qualifying budget, please, Tony? So, yeah. so, so I don't know if you watched the book club with Keenan, who I really liked, liked his book, blah, blah, blah. The thing that we disagreed about, Keenan and I, is Keenan isn't that keen, excuse the pun, Keenan isn't... Uh, that keen on Bant. Uh, on Bant. He doesn't really like budget, particularly. I'm quite fond of asking customers if they've got any money to spend, actually. So talk to you about your views on qualifying budget early on in the prospecting chain, Tony. Okay, so in, in, in the notes for your audience, I'll send you a link of an article I published recently, recently called Next Level Sales Qualification. Um, it all depends on what you're selling. If you're selling a commodity uh, and it's more about transacting, then qualifying budget authority need and timeline is all important. If you're selling complex enterprise solutions where the customer has to go away and build their own business case, it's less important because you can help them go and, fund, go and find the money. Um, so it depends on, on, right. the, on the style of, of sale that you're making. However, the person you're talking to has got to be someone who would own a budget. <laughs> so they may not have budget, but there's someone who would own it if they got it. So we'll they're the chief it. problem officer of that particular domain. So, again, like if, if I was selling a transactional commodity and the, either people are in the window of buying or they're not, they've got a budget or, or, or they don't, um, then you just qualify and move on. But if you're selling high-end, high-value, complex solutions, strategic selling by definition means engage early at senior levels, educate them in a way that helps them create their business case with a bias toward you and help them gain consensus inside their organisation for change. You become the emotional favourite through that process and you, and you, you create your own funding for the project. Right. Okay, that's an interesting take on it, actually. Yeah, I, I like that, and uh, the the distinction between the two elements. Because what we get sometimes with our clients is, yeah, I've not got budget for a sales guy, but send him along for an interview, and I'm always inclined not to do that, actually. Yeah, well, look, I, you know, I'm busy beating up salespeople in this book, right? Because I'm trying to give people a wake up call. It is largely a clarion call. It, it's it's not a boring step by step how to do books. What I find is people aren't doing it. I would show them the most simple things they need to do, simple strategies in LinkedIn to build pipe. You buy them Navigator, which is a lot of money, Sales Navigator from LinkedIn. I go back and sit down with them a month later and say, show me your accounts and leads within the accounts. Show me the process you're executing. Um, and there's just crickets, right? And the way I feel is, is you just deserve to be fired. So uh, <laughs> I've, been beating, I've been beating up salespeople, but equally with employers, which you're talking about, mm. many employers haven't earned the right to have great salespeople. They don't have yes. clarity. They don't have clarity about the intrinsic value in what they take to market. They don't have clarity about product market fit for what they do. They haven't defined ideal customer profiles well. They don't understand the buyer personas in those organizations. They haven't journey mapped. They haven't created content. See, that's the thing. Trying to say salespeople should create content is getting sellers to play the weakness. Most salespeople I meet a lot of them are semi-dyslexic. They're not great writers at all, right? But but mm. but they'll jump into the ring and they'll have a conversation and they're, they're not afraid to get beat up. But, you know, marketing and the business should be designing amazing content 
that you know that attracts customers. And a lot of sellers confuse social marketing or social selling. Like they're different things. Yes, you need to nail your brand because three quarters of buyers that you run outreach to that are thinking about responding, I'll go look at our LinkedIn profile. So we need to sort our LinkedIn profile out and write a little bit of content in there that kills common objections or excuses. And I think you would have read in the book, I heard you read it out loud, right? That one that I use with recruiters. I do a lot of work with recruiters. We love that. If, if hiring managers say I'm too busy to meet with recruiters, but it's a good response on what to do. It was a beauty, I thought, recruiters, The recruiters should write a couple of articles about that. What, where really are the risks in hiring? What does a mishire really cost in a particular role? You know, how do you assess for cultural fit? Like, and it makes it easy for them to carry the conversation that employers need to earn the right to hire great people as well. Tony, you've just given me three or four things I want to, just in, in that stanza that I want to talk about. The first one is you talked about sales now. Um, and you said it was expensive. I don't think it is. It's, it's 85 quid a month. And, yeah. and, and I off, what, something that frustrates me, I talk to some salespeople sometimes. And, you know, we're very lucky, Tony. We deal with enterprise sales guys, some of whom are on 100 £120,000 basic salary. And they'll turn yeah. around to me and, I, and, I, and I'm stood at the scene of the car crash and they'll go, well, it didn't, it, it didn't work out. And I'll go, oh, no, what happened? And they'll go, oh, well, you know, they won't pay for a, a premium LinkedIn account and they won't do this and they won't do that. And I sit there and I go, and, and, I, and, and I'm, oh, I'm you know, I'm 47 now and I'm, I've learned to be a little bit wiser and a little bit older, but at some point I am going to lose my shit and I'm going to turn around to some guy and go, you're on £120,000 basic salary. You're telling me you couldn't afford £85 out of your own pocket for a sales nav account. I'd have bought it myself, son. On top of that, you're telling me you could, your employer didn't have a CRM system. I'd have bought myself a pipe drive license myself, son. Yeah, exactly. And I said it to a salesperson the other day. I said, just buy it and claim it back because walk into the office with your expense claim. And if after six months you're succeeding and they haven't paid your expense claim on you buying that small amount of kit, move on and find a better employer who will. Amen. And, 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 it, and it confuses me because people don't do that. It yeah, drives but me I, insane. But, but I think if I was you, Tony, and I'm, I'm not saying this critically towards you in any way, I think people will read this book and not do it. I think a lot of people, genuinely, that, Tony, this book is it's great and I'm going to recommend it a lot to a lot of people. But I do think that it will terrify a lot of our audience. You must see that with some of your people. I think it'll terrify a lot of our, of particularly our target audience. Go on, Tony was going to jump people. in then and say what he thought, I think. It does terrify people. People hate the truth. They're all yeah. scared to death. They want to hit the easy button. They're lazy. If selling was really a profession, there'd be a university qualification for sales. Agreed. There's about 100 universities around the world that are doing it now, but historically there hasn't been. If selling was really a profession, people would be masterful at knowing the four modes of listening, the four types of questions, all of the qualification frameworks. They'd be masterful in using their tools. You know, the thing that amazes me is if a sales rep loses a big, big deal worth millions of pounds, they'll go back to the office and their boss will say, why did you, why did we lose that deal? And they universally say, either because the customer's an idiot yeah. or because the competitor dropped their price. That's and, just, and That's just not the, tr and, that's not the truth, is it? And, and the truth is, if a surgeon leaves the scalpel inside a patient, he doesn't get or she doesn't get to say that the, the patient was an idiot. No. They get fired and they lose their license. You know, I've, I've flown as a pilot. Like, you know, 
in commercial aviation, you get watched and checked out. If, you, if you're not competent, they take the license off you. And the amazing thing is you go watch people selling. They don't take notes. They don't actively listen. They don't ask good open questions. They don't, they don't qualify properly. They don't ask what the next steps are, what the customer's process looks like, who's involved. Uh, you know, uh, what sort of business case have they got behind what they're doing? What really happened in the organization that caused them to want mm. to look at this right now? You just, you don't get them asking these basic, good professional questions. Well, it, so to, to me, uh, like there are going to be less sellers. There'll be 20 to 30% less sellers. Anyone who's just a relationship person is in trouble. And anybody who isn't providing agree. enough value in their role through their own insights is in trouble. Right. And so this whole thing of, hey, I'm a great person. I want to come be your friend. You know, what is it I can sell you is 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 inane. It's crazy. It's it, it, people are in trouble. I, I was watching TV just two nights ago and there was an ad on TV from a TV station about how you can now go onto this uh, that they called it a, a uh, self-service platform to design your own TV ads and book all your own ads. Wow. And it's super affordable. And I, and I just watched it thinking, wow, here's another sales profession that's disappearing. You'd have needed you know, Don Draper. Sale. 20 well, years ago, yeah. Don Draper dealt with that, didn't he? Yeah, but the whole idea of the yeah. sales rep for the TV companies are now in trouble. It's Agreed. You know, automation is, is everywhere. So I, I, you know, I, I just think this is a whack to the side of the head, but they only need to do two or three simple things in this book to make a massive difference. I've had people I say to me, hey, Tony, all I did was one thing. I flipped it. I stopped talking about us and our attributes as a way of leading conversations, and I instead talked about them and their potential for better, for better outcomes. Or people have said to me, hey, Tony, I just started doing triples. Instead of, you know, phoning and Tony, then leaving that a is voice the thing I've done. That is the thing I've done. Right? I, I've been a man that's lived on the phone for 19 years, my whole sales career. I've actually started yeah. doing that. And me I'm too. An old, I'm an old dog that's belligerent and won't listen to new tricks. It Got works. an appointment last week. Got an appointment <clears throat> last week. Literally within a couple of hours of firing out some triples, guy came back to me. Yep, yep, great. Yep, I'm recruiting. Yep, love your style. Yep, wow, love your tenacity. Yep. Speak to me tomorrow at four. I'll give you a brief. And if your narrative is about them, not about you, it's all okay. It's all okay. Yeah. But people have said to me, I, I just, I, or people have said to me, I've just started adding text messages. People are so resistant to adding text message, but it gets amazing results. Amazing yeah. results. Completely agree. I've got a, really uh, a folder on my on my iPhone, you know, with standard responses to send. Once I've called them, it's great. Now, here's one that I completely disagree with, Tony. You're completely wrong about this. <laughs> Page 177. Go on, I'm going to find this. Where priority. you're talking about sort of befriending the executive assistant. Yeah. I mean, I just thought, come on. I'd... Maybe that's different for us Maybe in our market. Maybe it's different in the enterprise market. But go but, on, talk um, to me about that. I'm going to defend that. So Go on, then. So ideally, ideally, you bypass the gatekeeper by having someone's mobile phone, cell phone number, and, yeah. you, and you call them direct. And ideally, you're phoning in the shoulders of the day, you know, by a quarter to eight in the morning, 7.30, quarter to eight in the morning, and after the EA has gone home at the end of the day, but before the person, the executive is home with their family. So, so you're calling in times you're more likely to get engagement directly. But if you get the EA... Their job is to protect their boss's time and to protect their calendar. So if you try any sales tactics, I just think you get closed down and delegated. What I've found in my own life that works really well is treat the EA with respect. Say, hey, Mary, I'm wanting to get in, into Johnny's calendar. And the reason is uh, we work with firms in your industry and I've got some ideas on how he could. 
right? So you talk about how he could improve his own results, how he could be a hero inside his own business, how his organization <clears throat> could get better results. Um, and because if you try and get around her, what I find is they close you down. But you're, you're, but, but to be clear here, what you're saying is ideally we're getting this, the mobile cell phone number off Lucia yeah. or yes. Zoom in for and whatever. And the person direct. And we're just trying to get hold of him. This is like a last resort. Don't completely ignore them. Which is how you and you I have been trained, isn't it? Is to find every possible conceivable way of not getting involved in a conversation with an EA. Yeah. Before yeah, you, before you, you end up to... in... But if you have to, at some point, you've got to be pleasant and, and polite. Yeah, but but also treat them like they run the company because here's the truth in my view. For really senior roles, the EA that works for them, you know, top girl, runs that blo- person's top life. Girl they absolutely do. Yeah, right? So if you treat them with respect, you're absolutely there. I get that. I think if you're, if you're playing that senior at the food chain, you know, a mate of mine used to be a PA to uh, a very senior person at uh, Walmart. And she is an extremely, extremely accomplished, seasoned business professional in her own right. Um, mm. I think if you'd treated her like a uh, flibberty gibbet or whatever word comes to mind, if you treated her with disdainfully, you, she'd just eat you alive. So um, here's one I like then. So ghost your own CEO's profile. So for listeners, what yeah. Tony suggested here is <clears throat> that actually CEOs are connected to people that you'd want to sell to, fundamentally. So actually what we can do is we can uh, ghost the CEO's profile um, and use their profile, essentially, for canvassing. I think it's a great idea, this, Tony. Why don't you just, just explain expand it on that, please, Tony. Yeah, yeah, Tony, expand on that, I think. Yeah, so everything in the book is real. There's nothing in there that's theories. So there's a guy I was coaching and mentoring in the USA for a tech startup um, selling to the chief marketing officer. Um, so, so what he did is he, he obviously he had to build the confidence and explain the strategy and agree under a rules of engagement framework. But the CEO gave him the login credentials of his account to this salesperson and the salesperson um, ran the CEO's LinkedIn profile, connecting, re- requesting meetings around when trade show events were on um, uh, and would then introduce the sales rep. <laughs> which was really the sales rep introducing themselves. Now, you could argue that that's not ethical, um, but the reality is the sales rep is being the sales EA for the CEO. Right? He's acting under direction for the framework. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, he, and he got amazing results, amazing I results. I love that. Um, and, and, yeah. and, and I would refute anybody who says that's not ethical because I'm a view that we're in the business of professional salesmanship. And for me, professional means you do it for money. And if you're doing it for money, providing actually you're not really breaking any laws. Well, no one's lying, are they? No, it's it, for, well, the it, thing. It's a prof- that to me, I that to me is a professional thing to do. Yeah, and, like- and the thing he did, and the thing the salesperson did is he said, "Here's a hundred accounts that I'll, I'll, that I want to get to people in the board and into the C-suite. Um, I, I, I want you to be the reason that they're willing to meet." So here's the 100 people. Here's what the messaging and the narrative is going to be about. I won't go outside of these boundaries without coming and talking to you and getting your permission. But basically, I'll, I'll be your EA to get you engaged with all of these people because the CEO wanted to build out their network as well. Um, the other reason why it's so important to treat an EA with respect is EAs often run the LinkedIn profile for senior executives. Yes, they do. So all, all of these people running passive outreach in LinkedIn, it's being vetted by the EA anyway. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about social. And 
something I find is difficult and something I often see a lot when uh, I'm, I'm talking to salespeople or I'm on LinkedIn is one is the quality of the content they put out. I think LinkedIn is now, and since you wrote the book, I think LinkedIn has become a viciously noisy platform. Um, the volume of noise is immense and the amount of noise, the type of noise is immense. And to cut through that noise now, particularly from a content creation perspective, you've really got to be on top of the game. You've got to be doing what we're doing today. You've got to be delivering serious value with your content. So I was nervous when I read in the book, Tony, you're talking about perhaps people writing an article. I often find when people do that and I see it and I'll look in the feed and I'll think, well, you've written that article, it's had three views, two likes, one of which is from your mum and the other which is from your best mate. Um, They're not getting much reach. And I think, would you have been better off doing something else? And I do wonder sometimes if encouraging individual salespeople to create content is encouraging them to just scream into, a, into what is a becoming a void. So sellers need to put all of their energy into selling, not being content marketing people. Yeah. But they do need to create some timeless content as articles, not posts. So you guys know, obviously, that there's two types of content yes, inside of LinkedIn. There's an article which stays in your profile forever. Yep. And then there's a post, post or an update that you can create, but that drifts away in the stream of content over time. Yep. So if you're working with other people's content to sort of build following and get mindshare with people, you do it as posts or updates. But the articles, I believe sellers should write some articles, but they should do those articles that kill objections or that really set the agenda for them in conversations. In a way that if they, if they rang a prospect and the prospect, for example, in your world, the prospect said, hey, hey, Mike, you know, <clears throat> if I had bloody coffee with every recruiter wanting to come and friend you, I'd never get any work done. If you've got a real CV, send me one. I'm too, otherwise, I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. Right? But what you want the salesman to say is, hey, I know you're busy, but that's the very reason why I think it makes sense for us to get together. I'm going to send you a copy to a really short article that explains why, and I'll call you back in a few days. Right? Then you send them the article, and that article is the perfect way that you would want to say that your excuse of having no time is the reason that you need to meet with me because I'm going to give you back 10 hours of your time and I'm going to dramatically de-risk one of the most important decisions you're making in your whole business life, right? So if you can get them to write that, that's their best level of self-sales training they'll ever have. So, And you can review it all before they put it up to to make sure they're not embarrassing themselves and not playing to weakness. Mm. Um, But I think they should write some content, but what they shouldn't do is while away the day, Sharing other people's content, liking, yeah. commenting, right? Sat, you do it in a targeted way. Five on LinkedIn. Yes. Yeah, it's a time yeah, like thing. Just, 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 it is just, just time block. But if you're wanting to get to a particular person, and you, you mustn't do anything disingenuously. But if they wrote something great, then like it, and maybe share it, because like it gets your face in front of them, it gets them into your orbit. So when you call them, it's warmed up a bit. So there's social strategies that are good. I just think when people go all in social and neglect the phone because they yeah. fear rejection. Like it's, it's just, it's a suicide note in sales. You, you need to use all of the available channels to find a way to break through with people. And all of that's got to be underpinned by your level of belief and the value that you provide. And then your ability to drive a conversation with someone that takes a worthwhile perspective to the person without it being a pitch. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was you talk a lot about social listening. Now, yep. um, I, again, 
I'm nervous about that a couple of years into where the book is in as much as, again, I think I worry that can take up just so much time. And I know you're very specific about being specific about a target number of accounts to listen to yeah. in the book. And I completely concur with that. And I'm actually in the process of an extremely similar exercise where I'm picking ideal target accounts, making sure I'm listening to the content, etc. But I'm finding that very time consuming. And I'm, and I'm nervous that a lot of people could misconstrue that as, oh, right, well, I'm doing, I'm working hard, boss, I'm social listening. Uh, but for me, I think it's important to reiterate that's got to be just a small part of the mix of what you're doing. It does. And the thing is, people should listen in social. They, they should listen for trigger events that create opportunity. Yeah. But for example, I did, I did a workshop up in Asia uh, last week, uh, about 70 people, half of them were account managers, half of them business development reps. But I said to the account managers, every one of their accounts, they should save uh, as an account inside the sales navigator. And then all of the people they've got positive relationships with in that account, they save as leads. And then all of the people they've never met that they should go and meet, they should save as leads. And then yep. the C-suite in that organization, they should save as leads. Because the reality is, is when new senior people leave an organization and a new person replaces them, that new person coming in wants to drive change. So for an account manager, the act of someone leaving that knows and likes us is a trigger event where we should follow that person into their new organization because yep. it's an opportunity. Then we've got to monitor who comes in to replace them and go shore up that relationship before a competitor tries to follow them in. And then we need to say to them, hey, I can see in LinkedIn you're in this other company or role previously. Would it make sense for us as an organization to go talk to them as well? Can you give me a bit of coaching about that organization you've come from? So what happens is you identify two sales leads and one account defense opportunity from a simple trigger event. And I ran a session in London uh, three months ago and as a two-day program, and on the morning of day two, the account management team said to me in front of the room, they said, we had dinner last night and we were thinking about what we did yesterday with trigger events. Mm. And we had a big conversation. Every customer that us as a company have lost in the last three years, all of them exclusively we lost because a new senior person joined the C-suite. Yep. We didn't go and cover off the relationship. Next thing, you know, five months later, nine months later, a tender comes out wide for our competitor and we lose the account. And yep. we recognise we didn't monitor that trigger event and cover it as a risk. Well, we, we were always taught, weren't we, when, in our early years in recruitment, Mike, where there is a smoke, where there is smoke, there is always going to be a fire. There is. An, <clears throat> and it's an interesting uh, argument that Jonathan and I have, actually, which is I always think that our relationship is with people rather than an account. It is. <clears throat> Yeah, I agree, that, Tony. I agree with that. Right, yeah, I okay. agree. Because yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> we can't fall out about that then. <laughs> yeah, well, and and I sometimes argue, but you've got to own the account and the multiple people within it, so that there is sufficient leverage that you can cover yourself in the eventuality of losing a key contact. Well, I agree with that too. Right. So, <laughs> so, so, so the way I think about it is, is you like you you need a panel contract or a contract in place for you to be able to transact with an organization for a lot of people listening to this. Like in larger selling. Yep. So you have to have a relationship with the organization to be able to sell, but just because you do does not mean you'll be successful. Right. So the, the relationship with the organization is your hunting license to go after all of the individual people. 
Um, and you should build as many relationships as you can to uncover opportunity and to be able to follow people, you know, when they get promoted, when they move. So um, the, the big mistake most sellers make is they is they they have too fewer relationships in the sale they're pursuing or in the account they're managing. And yeah. often they back someone that's not in the political power base of the organisation. Uh, and you refer on a few occasions to a book that very few people have read, which is power-based selling. Based sell- no, power-based ah, selling, Jim Holden. Yeah. And I yeah. actually, book. I loved that book, that book and the concept of the fox in the account. Yeah. I, I, and what surprises me is it's a book that seems to have just dropped out of the vernacular that we that we have on a day-to-day basis when we talk about sales texts. I know you've read it, Mike. Yeah, I have you. Yeah. And yeah, I've 100%. read it. And I remember there was a point where when we first started the business and we we were, uh, uh, you know, toughing backs it out. Backs to the wall, fighting it When it, it was out. backs to the wall and we are fighting it out, we actually read it together uh, and did little mind maps of it together and trained ourselves yeah. together because we couldn't afford any sales training. And I remember it was about 10 years ago. We, we just went through it, didn't we? Yeah, very good. But it's a, it, uh, and I think you're absolutely so right. There are, understanding the power base and not a lot of sales conversations and not a lot of candidates I speak to talk about that. Well, you see, we're bordering, we're bordering into a soapbox comment here, which is actually I think a lot of the sellers that are entering the market now, and I'm obviously going to alienate most 20, most people in the 20s now, so I've got to be careful. Snowflakes. But I think but I think that what's happened is they've grown up in a social area where they've grown up yeah. in Facebook or whatever. Yeah, so they then about take lot, that we? as a paradigm into the working world. And actually, I mean, it's a very old-fashioned sort of thing to say, but I can remember, you know, pre-Facebook and all that kind of thing, I used to walk around bars and walk up to girls and talk to them. Yeah, you had to pluck up the courage to but, go and uh, talk to a girl. And for those of us who are just who are just listening, Tony Tony's now smiling at this. But, but, but you, did. you know, to me, so that was the paradigm that I grew up with, which was making verbal contact with people, whereas a lot of today's sellers are entering the market with the paradigm, which is making social contact with each other. You had other. to go up to a girl and, and ask her for a phone problem. number. Don't you think, though, Tony, that social era that was sweeping in, that's what's creeping into the workforce, really. Yeah, and that's going yeah, to... Yeah, and, it, and, and, it's, and it's even worse than that because, you know, if, if you look at millennials and Gen Z and, and all that follow... Um, there's a real shallowness to what people do. There's this culture of I'll just do enough to say I did it. You know, it's a tick and flick. Mm. The whole notion of doing the hard and the difficult and going deep, um, people have a bias against, right? Whereas when all of us cut our teeth in selling, it was brutally tough, right? And you yep. you got better by failing um, and just and just getting beat up. So. The reality is, is all of the social stuff and the techno wizardry is massively important. People, I believe sellers not only need high EQ uh, and high IQ, you, you can't be dumb and be successful. So you've got to be smart. You've got to be emotionally intelligent and aware of yourself and others. But the third piece, I think, is actually today's TQ. You've got to have technical quotient. You've got to know how to yeah. use a little mashup of tech and tools to help you go be successful and help you to be efficient. And we talked about Lucia, you know, which is the favorite of the recruiting industry, but you just, you got to, you got to find a way to blend tech and social platforms with old school things that'll make you successful. But uh, just, just embracing tech and getting busy with a whole lot of shallow stuff. I just think you become white noise to everybody else. That's well, well out you're there, making but... yourself be very susceptible to be eaten up by the robots and the AI. Why, why, yeah. why, why is AI eating up that lower space? It's because we're living in a, in a tech world. 
yeah. an AI is taking and, it up. Well, let me let, uh, so for those listening, this will this will blow your mind. Um, I can't say too much because people have to figure out who the company is, but there's a company I've done a little bit of advisory stuff with. They've got um, digital workers in social, so they're not real human beings, but they look like humans, generating them leads in B2B context. Right. So it's amazing, um, isn't it? Yeah. I won't I won't say I won't say what the platforms are, but they're using multiple social platforms. They've got they look like humans, they've got human profiles, they're engaging with people, it's all automated, they're building out connections, and when they get people to reply, they 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 run a sequence. And then at cert- a certain stage, it's handed over to a real person for a sale. Um, we we know that Google Duplex uh, a year ago can phone humans and book appointments, and the people don't know they were talking to a robot. Um, wow. I've 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 seen a digital human, an AI digital human. I I think I sent you guys a link to an article about the truth about AI for sales I wrote. But you know, there's a digital human on a computer screen selling a credit card to a person. And through the camera on the computer screen, the AI computer is is reading intonation, voice, facial expression, and it knows that when the person says "really," whether it's a skeptical "really," a "tell me more," "really," you know, or a surprise that's "really," that's a subtlety it knows exactly of human language that you wouldn't think a computer could get its head around. But it's getting its head around it. It's it's absolutely getting there, right? So, um, and and when you think that today a lot of success depends on your ability to screen huge amounts of data to try and go and find the right people to actually talk to or to identify the trigger events that give you context for the conversation with them. It's tech that does an awesome job at dealing with huge amounts of data and actually sifting to find signals. Yeah, it is. And what's uh, interestingly, conversely, Tony, um, is that you or us? I'm not sure. Interesting. Somewhat conversely, Tony, can you still hear me? Yeah, I can. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. It is actually, I think, one of the best tools a salesperson can use, and you mentioned it, was a call sheet. A piece yes. Of pa- a piece of paper. You know, Mike and I grew up in an environment where you had a call sheet and it had... He said, name. call me back at five. So you wrote the person's name at five o'clock on your call sheet, and then you phoned That's them right. back. Nay, it had name, decision-maker, yes or no, outcome. And you sat and you got up in the morning and you came in and I used to fill my call sheet in the night before with a and I used to sit there and write a hundred names with a hundred phone numbers. Yeah. So I could just smash the phone. We tried persuading people to do that and we're quite persuasive and they wouldn't do it. And we but what we found was we couldn't get people to do it. Because and, and we used to say to them, it's not the fact that it's the call sheet, it's the act of analog marking the fact that you've made a call that psychologically tells you you're moving forward in your day. And people would look at us like we were clinically insane. Yeah. Wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. But and actually, and yet think, it's the truth. Yeah. And it's actually one of the best bits of kit. And, and, and don't get me wrong, Michael and I are extremely tech-reliant. Um, our business is based on, tech, on technology above and beyond pretty much anything else. Um, but, wow. Absolutely. Well, listen... Time to wrap up. We've got to go, go and do. Yeah. We, we literally have to go and do some triples. Good so, on you. So I've yeah. got to say, t- Tony, uh, Jonathan's going to wrap this up because because c- c- he's the lead artist. But I have enjoyed this book. While I've whined, whilst I have whined about how it was written, that's because purely, you know, I I I, I would I just want the three key words off each page. But equally, 
as a book, I have done more stuff having read this book than any of the others I've read. Yeah. You've taught me you've wow. taught me a trick or two in terms of canvassing, and I've canvassed my whole sales life and I'm very comfortable doing it. Actually, the one thing that I've done now, just full stop, is the triple. I think that in itself is an absolute changer. Big takeaway. Really good. I'm really glad you've come on the show. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you.